Just because we can do all things doesn't mean we should. Before we get started, I want you guys to go register now for the free webinar training on this topic. Go to bit.ly slash creative financing webinar to register now. That's bit.ly slash creative financing webinar. I have now done over $100 million in real estate transactions over the last 10 years and counting, going from a real teen mom with one daughter at the time, wholesaling and door knocking residential pre-foreclosure properties, to now national real estate investor with five children and four businesses, buying and selling residential and commercial properties. And I want you to do the same. So let's do it. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Realty Talks with Taiyi podcast show. I am back in action. I have to admit I was down for the count for a good maybe 24 hours, but I'm back rejuvenated, excited, and filled with my normal vibrant energy. I just had one of those days that, you know, like they say, that a girl goes through. I had one of those. I'm only human, so I'm not even mad that I had my share of just blah. I don't even know what to call it. So I'm going to leave that there, but I just wanted to vent, let that out, put it into the universe just so that it doesn't have to come back to me, hopefully anytime soon. And I have been thinking today after just so much time um, kind of down, you you don't want to be down and out. You want to be down and thinking or down and kind of rejuvenating and relaxing. And that's what I was doing. And in the midst of doing that, I thought like, so many women that are entrepreneurs that are that are just doing their thing that are killing it or just trying to make something happen trying to make something out of nothing right so many people miss a very vital thing that i see so often and that is just because you can do all things does not mean that you should do all things or even should try to, okay? Like we as women are already master jugglers and parents and entrepreneurs and homeschool moms and we wear so many different hats and do so many different things, but in doing so much, you lose sight of so little and those little details mean everything to business, to life, to family. So at a time, a point in time, you do want to have a time to press the pause button and just pump the brakes and say, hey, where am I at right now? Where do I want to be? And where could I be if I move certain things or pieces out of the way or just delegate them to someone else, right? So that came to me in the most oddest way of thinking about renovation and rehabbing properties because it's a system. Renovating properties is a system and it's also a phase of development. So today I really want to talk to you guys about the seven steps of a rehab deal because so many people are blowing me up, asking me, Tai, hey, how do I get to my next level? And I'm like, you haven't even touched home base yet. Like, what do you mean next level? Like, I'm glad you guys are thinking ahead, but today I really want to focus 
focus this talk on the seven steps to rehabbing just so you can evaluate for yourself if you feel like you have the capacity, the intention, the resources, and just kind of the gut to kind of stomach what it takes to renovate a property and really build if you want to, like I did not initially want to, um, but ended up building a multi-million dollar renovation business that has contributed significantly to my passive income portfolio from doing everything from prehabbing to rehabbing. And we'll talk about those differences um, maybe in another episode. But again, today we're going to talk about the seven steps of a rehab deal. So here we go. Okay. So the first step is really preparation. Preparation is key. I know that people hear that you uh, should plan before you do. Some people like that idea. Some people don't. I used to not be a big planner. However, when it comes to renovation, you cannot sidestep this. Like preparing for your rehab is the rehab. That is the first corner, um, a milestone that you want to set and accomplish for yourself. Like most of your work will be done literally in the planning stages. So this will give you a very rough idea of how many repairs are actually needed to update the property. Okay. So the second step then is called the scope of work. The SOW is what it's abbreviated as, right? So this scope of work, the SOW gives you the information then that you will need to get a contractor bid for materials and labor costs. Okay. Now, once you have your scope of work written up, it's time then for step three. And you might be thinking, well, what is that? What could possibly be needed still after you plan it and after you create your scope of work? Well, now comes the exciting part slowly, but surely step three being hiring your contractors. Okay. Now I cannot belabor this point enough, but it's always best to get a referral for a contractor. Either way, like the contractor will need to follow your system, not the other way around. A lot of times I see and experience that contractors are so one track minded that they get so far in, you know, in their own thoughts that they get in their own way of really experiencing, seeing and fulfilling on the client's vision because they feel like they have the team, the resources, the da da da. And you want them to have all of that stuff. That stuff is great, but it's also a bonus, right? It's not the thing that you rely on. It's the bonus or the accessory. Just like if you wear an outfit, you don't have to have accessories like earrings and necklaces and bracelets, right? Or anklets even. But those things are nice. They make you feel good. They make you look good. If they make you look better, hey, that's not for me to judge. But you get the point of what I'm saying here. Okay, so you don't want to rely on the contractor or even use and adopt their system and mold it for yourself. You need to be in a position of authority and they need to respect that in regards to the system that you not only have, but they need to adopt that system and follow it to a T. Okay, so once you choose your contractor, then it's time to show them the six critical documents which is our step four that we use here in our office, okay? So step four is the six critical documents. 
Okay, now I know that I'm giving you super high level, but I want to. I don't want to get you caught up in the details because there's way too many in this episode would be way too long. And we're not trying to do all that tonight. So just stick with me, hang in there, and I promise you'll have a good overall high level you know, view of what this process entails. So getting back to it, step four is those six critical documents that protect you and the project. And they also help you to really get everything in writing, which is, again, another measure of protection for you, the property and the project. Okay, now then you get to step five, which is you will be managing the rehab. So it's really a project management type phase that you cannot, again, you cannot afford to sidestep it. It has to be managed. Okay. You cannot control what you cannot manage and you cannot measure what you do not manage. So you definitely want to make sure that you are managing that project. Now, in doing so, you will want to educate yourself on the costs and the steps involved and even on the time it'll take to really keep that project on track. Okay, so you need to establish milestones like we talked about earlier and inspection schedules to really make sure that that project stays on schedule and on budget. Okay, now finishing the construction will really include anything, anything that needs to be uh, like changed or even redone. Okay, so any changes require what's called a change order, and that needs to be done in writing. So do it right the first time so that you can pass all of your inspections and ensure the buyer gets a safe home. Because no buyer, especially a first time home buyer, wants to get a home that is just a hot mess. That would suck, right? Like if they have to go in and do work to it, but didn't expect to and didn't have the budget to, then you're in for a very long phone call, if not legal process. So you really want to avoid that. And then that brings us to what's called contract closeout. Like this is one of my favorite steps. So it's step six because we are almost at the finish line. So step six, again, we call it contract closeout. And that's where we um, do all of our like final payouts to the contractors. Okay. Like for you, you really want to then walk through the property and note any final items that need to be completed before, before, hear me now, issuing the final payment. Because this will also be the time to then schedule any inspections that are required to actually close out your building permits. Okay. And once those permits have been signed off on and you are happy with your final product or your completed project, then and only then you will make your final payment to your contractor to basically release them and consider the job done. Now the finishing touches and staging the home are the final steps of the process. So even though your contractors are on the hook, you still have one more leap to make in order to get to that finish line which is step seven. And step seven is really putting, again, those final final touches on the project and stage the property so that people can really envision themselves in the home, then sell it, 
And don't forget to do what is one of our favorite parts, which is celebrate your win. Celebrate all wins, okay? After you stage it, after you kind of sell, emotionally sell, um, not logically sell, especially if we're talking about women, but that's a whole nother topic for another day. When you are selling, you want to use emotional triggers. And when you're doing that, you can bring that out of people through how you stage the home. It really actually helps. And then, like I said, it does help to then sell it and then celebrate. So that is the seven-step rehab system that you will want to adopt even into your own business so that you can really start to ramp it up, but also keep things on track and on budget because those are the two biggest components that will dictate the success and also the quality of your project. It's so funny, like when we started doing renovations, uh, we started with really small projects because like those were so easy to manage and we made them all cookie cutter. They all kind of look the same the same way. It's funny because I actually heard another woman say this um, who later became one of my uh, good friends and and fellow, you know, investors is that um, she was like, uh, I used to post pictures of all of my flips on social media. And when I posted the pictures, people were like, why are you posting the same house? And I'm like, this is not the same house. So she just said, I end up stop posting pictures. That was hilarious to me because that was my reality for me and my team. Like we did that, but we had our system locked in and locked down. We knew every price. We knew it down to the SKU number. Okay. So we definitely had a system that was reliable, that was duplicatable, but more importantly was scalable so that when we were ready to hand it off to the next person who we hired in replacing and firing ourselves um, was a project manager and also our GC so that they can take the reins and the leads. And then we started to kind of adopt other kind of more templated models so that we can duplicate the same system. However, create different frameworks, different models that we can just plug and play as we go with the same types or styles of homes that we were renovating. Okay, so I digress, I know, just a little bit, but I also want to give you guys a couple of best practices so that you can start pre-selling your renovation projects if you're ready to get into this game at this level, okay? Like here's a even a bonus tip that I'm thinking of just off the top of my head is that once you own a property and you start rehabbing the property, always go into a pre-sale mode, okay? Like put up a for sale sign in the yard to generate interest and possibly even email maybe like um, potential buyers that have contacted you in the past about other properties. Now, just as a side note though, when you pre-sell a property, you do have to be cautious because you really don't want to like show the property until the drywall is actually up because a lot of people have a very hard time visualizing what the property is going to look like if the wall is open. Like imagine that for a second. Just imagine walking into a house with no walls. Crazy. It sounds crazy, right? Well, it is. So you don't want to do that. Like now when you're ready um, you know, to do so and take that next step, then we will start to show buyers. And once you do that, uh, you're going to be taking them on pretty much a tour through the properties. But there are like a couple things you want to be aware of. 
Number one, make sure that your contractors are always cleaning up the job site. So if you do walk a buyer through and maybe just maybe the sheetrock is up on the walls and you haven't installed everything yet, you want to make sure that the property is at the bare minimum as clean as possible. So that's a huge tip that we or I should even say I violated sometimes, um, not that I was project managing feet on the ground, boots on the ground, that was more so my husband's role, but from a distance, that was an oversight. I'll be totally honest for me for the beginning. I just thought, hey, it's a construction site, it's construction, they get dirty, it gets dirty, right? Like I'm not like a super clean neat freak, but I know my husband has OCD about it. So he is the one who brought it to my attention and we had to, I had to very quickly learn like do not violate that premise or that rule because at any time uh, you might want to walk a buyer through or somebody comes up wanting to see inside the project. So you just want to have it like as clean as it possibly can be. Okay. So again, that's a huge tip um, when it comes to like pre-selling properties. And you can also have an agent. And if you're going to work with an agent to sell the property, you can have them post the property for sale on their personal website and market it to their buyer's list ahead of time as well. Now, you know, don't overuse this rule. Don't ever post the property on the MLS until the rehab is actually done and professional pictures are taken of that property. Like that's one thing you want to make sure that you don't violate. So those are just some short tips on pre-selling a property. Okay. Now I know I'm going to get a ton of feedback asking like, Hey, what did you mean by prehab? Did you, was that like a a mistake? Did you mean rehab? No. So instead of, I know earlier I said, I'm going to save it for another episode. I'm just going to give you guys kind of the bare bones of that right now because I'm feeling good. Okay. Like I said, I got my little groove back after being kind of just blah because I've been in the house for over six weeks now. So, Hey, who can really blame me with all this quarantine madness going on? Right. So I just kind of like went through my day. But again, back to the prehabbing. So I don't digress again. I just want to let you guys know that there is a such thing called prehabbing, not rehabbing. It's prehabbing. Okay. Like, what is that, Tai? Well, it's another strategy that we have used over the years. And it's actually formally called prehabbing. Like, we didn't just make that up. Like, we wasn't just, you know, walking around one day and say, hey, I think we should call this prehabbing. No, it's already a thing, okay? And that thing is a hybrid strategy where you buy the property, you actually close on it. You do some very minimal work, and we're talking about like cleaning up, maybe do some demo or just getting the junk out of the house. And then you sell the house to another investor, okay? The reason that it's called prehabbing is because it's basically like a combination of a wholesale and a rehab. It's that very happy medium, that sweet spot, okay? Like now, I don't want you guys to think that you're doing an entire rehab here. No, that's not what you're doing. You're just getting rid of the junk so you can maximize the price when you sell it to another investor in a shorter time frame. And it's something that we've done on quite a few properties that's been very, very profitable for us. For example, 
I won't go into a full case study here, even though I have many that come to mind. But for one in particular, we had a property in San Pablo, California, where the home values at that time in that neighborhood was about the low um, to mid 300,000 range. Okay, so we knew wholesaling that we were going in looking to make a profit if we were just purely going to wholesale that property of $30,000 minimum. But we got such a good deal on the property that we were like, no way, like this should definitely be a rehab. Well, we opened it up to our, our, our four core buyers that were like our primary top four buyers and instantly on the spot of like literally moments after um, telling one of them that we actually shared an office space with, they asked how much we wanted for it. And I was like, uh, well, it definitely won't be less than 50,000 if we wholesale it to you, right? And that was just a number off the top of my head. They were like, we'll take it. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. So in addition to that, then I'm like, well, let me see what the others are gonna say. If they respond the same day, great. Um, then we can talk about it. But if they take more than a day to respond, because I know this is such a good deal, then you know all bets are off. So basically, to make a long story short, the same day we got another offer for $40,000 more. And that was not even putting it on the MLS, not opening it up to our entire buyers list, nothing. This was just our, our top two buyers who made these offers and even blind offers. Okay. So we already knew we had a great deal. Well, we decided to prehab it, right? So that even though it was a great deal, we knew we can make it better. So what did we do? Well, two things. The first thing is we planned, okay? We did not sidestep that. We still planned what we were going to do. So the planning portion of the prop, uh, property just almost had a lost my train of thought there, but basically there was only two steps. Super simple. Step number one, again, it was just the preparation, that planning phase. And the plan included step one, clean out the property, completely clean it out because it was like a hoarder's house. Like it was two older um, people who owned it, no kids there, no like animals. However, I'm so disgusted by the fact that in step two, which was hire a demo crew to come in and do all of the demo, um, and that's it. And then reoffer it to our buyers list and sell it. Now, in step two, during the cleanout phase, because this was early on in the renovation career part of things, I wanted to be feet on the ground, sight on the work. So we both, my partner, uh, my my husband, my partners, and a couple other members of our team, we were there. We were we did just that. Now, in the process of that, I am like arachnophobic. I don't know. Like I have a huge problem with anything that moves that is other than children. Like I just can't do it or even other than people, I should say. I just can't handle animals and bugs. So I'm there trying to help out doing too much, probably like getting myself in the way and just trying to be helpful, I guess. But it was really more of a hindrance than help, especially when I moved a mat and a mouse came out from under there. Like I, honey, let me tell you, I almost fainted, literally. Like I will never forget that experience. And since that day, I never, let me tell you again, never was on a job site again. Literally, if the demo had already started, 
all bets were off. I wasn't there until it was staged and pretty. And I was sure that no bugs, no rodents, no creepy crawly things were anywhere around there. Like, <laughs> I know some of you are laughing. Some of you are like looking like, girl, you are doing much right now. No, I was not being extra. It was a real legit mouse. I just couldn't do it. So that's my kind of story and I'm sticking to it. And long story short, the moral of the story was more so that it was extremely profitable to still prehab that property because not only on top of the $90,000 offer at that point, I went back to those two investors and said, Hey, I just not only cleaned out the property, but fully, uh, fully demoed it all out so that all you have to do is go in there, put your guys there and get them to work with the crew. Even as soon as, as tomorrow, they went through seeing the property instantly. I just wanted to create the competition between them so I can kind of bid my, uh, you know, profit bottom line up and, and it, it worked to my favor. Uh, the, the one who initially uh, said they'll take it at the 50,000 offered 65. That's already a $15,000 instant value created or value add, right? And the 90,000 offered five more. So that was still f another five. So on average, I estimated just doing some very basic math that cleaning and gutting out the property, two simple steps that literally took maybe one to two days um, and no more than three to $5,000. Um, I actually did two at that time, so I can't remember the exact um, amount, but I know I've never paid, we've never paid over $5,000 um, for a prehab really. Like it's super simple, super quick, and we've never spent over seven days doing one. Usually it's even one to three days. Like this one, for example, was for sure one to three, one to two days. Um, of a turnaround to create an additional $10,000 in revenue from only spending about, you know, maybe eight hours and, and $3,000 more to create an extra $10,000. Like that was worth it. It was awesome. And I loved every bit of the project until that mouse found me. That was not okay. So anyways, I just want you guys to know that that is a strategy, a very overlooked strategy a lot of the time and, and even sometimes a very unknown strategy. So now instead of going to the properties, I definitely like to use the prehab strategy in combination with the our like building our passive income through rentals and building that real portfolio. Now, instead of developing plans to just go in and prehab, we actually have a club here that really really is our uh, passive income club that develops a full comprehensive plan to actually eliminate all of the guesswork involved in investing so that we can follow the same investment decisions time and time again and allow our fellow investors to do the same if they want to. Like you can invest in the very same markets even if you wanted to as we do with the same property managers, the same rehab crews um, as Investor Answer You does. If you you're using your own money for passive investments, let me just tell you this. You may need to find other sources of capital to fund your active side of the business, meaning wholesaling and your rehab. That's the active side, right? Like we even teach this strategy in the Investor Answer You program. So to protect your own capital, um, from like different fluctuations that might occur even for right now, like the COVID-19 on the active side of the business. We have also found the most effective way to run that side of your business is to ultimately use other people's money. 
no matter if you're wholesaling, if you're rehabbing, or if you're prehabbing, you definitely want to use other people's money. And if you're like me and don't like bugs getting dirty, you don't like surprises like, you know, uh, mice running from underneath carpets, like that's disgusting. Oh, I'm going to stop talking about it so I don't have to dream about it tonight. <laughs> but um, if you don't like that stuff, then you definitely want to really start to mold your plan, not only around just prehabbing, just wholesaling, or just renovating or rehabbing. You really want to start thinking about the long-term strategy of passive income, okay, so that you can really start to adopt that mindset of, hey, this is a short-term thing for a long-term gain. Yes, there's bigger profit margins, especially in the uh, rehab realm, but you also want to think like, hey, do I actually like doing this work? It goes back to where I started this episode saying is, you know, just because you can do everything does not mean you should do everything. And from that experience, I definitely learned that I should not be on the job you know, site getting in the way, being more of a hindrance than a help when it comes to renovating properties. Like now we just hire the crews. My husband will be feet on the ground, eyes on the work if he needs to be. We still actively, we still definitely will manage the projects, but all of that can be done through building your passive portfolio to make it even more so worth it, not only just now, but in the future. But I'll talk more about that later in another episode as well. All of this is made possible, not only for us in my business, in my husband's business, but also for you. You guys can literally implement this if you already have a real estate investing business or if you're thinking about starting one, you might wanna start with that sweet spot after you've done, at least maybe I would recommend your first maybe three wholesale deals. Then go into prehabbing if you want. Otherwise, you can go directly into rehabbing if that's what you wanna do. Whatever floats your boat to each their own. Well, before I end with you guys for today's episode, I just wanted to rehab, uh, recap. I'm, uh, you see what's on my mind, like <laughs> rehab, rehab. Um, so I want to recap what we started with talking about, which was the seven steps of a rehab deal. Okay. So I'm going to run through those real quick in case you missed them, or you can pause and go back and take some notes. But again, those seven steps was first to prepare for your rehab. The second step in regards to the rehab uh, process is to create your scope of work. Step three is to hire your contractors. Step four is to execute your six critical documents. Step five is managing the rehab. Step six then is what's called the contract closeout and paying all the final payouts to your contractors. And then once we get to step seven, we're just talking about staging the property and putting it in a position to sell and sell quickly so that you can celebrate your win. So I hope you guys got a lot out of this episode, even my crazy story, but it is 110% true. I don't want you guys to have to go through that craziness. So take some of the hidden gems, the tips and tricks that I told you guys about and really adopt those for your business if you need to kind of mold them around what you're already doing so that it works a little bit better in your favor. Hey, you can do that as well. But until next time, until the next episode, I'm going to actually go to sleep right now and get me a little bit more rest because even though I sound like I probably have just had a couple coffee, I actually am feeling a little bit tired, which is weird. So I'm gonna go get me a little bit of rest while I can before the little ones wake up um, again. And then until the next episode, you guys really start to get your mind wrapped around, hey, is it time for me to start rehabbing for bigger checks 
Or do I still need to focus on the active uh, side of the business, but the first steps to build my capital reserve, which is through wholesaling and or working and keeping your W-2 job? Okay, that's something for you guys to figure out. And then from there, developing and finding your investment strategy and keep going forward with super you know, momentum in regards to achieving the goals that you set out to do when you first got started in the business. So I wish you guys all the best, nothing but success. Like, share, subscribe to this channel, share it with your friends and family, take notes on it and stay tuned for the next episode. Are you interested in learning more about how you can apply these same principles and strategies to create or enhance your existing real estate investing business as well? Well, register now for the free webinar training at bit.ly slash creative financing webinar. That's bit.ly slash creative financing webinar for more tips, tricks, and support along that path so that you can learn the process and prosper. Until then, tune in to the next episode.